Hello and welcome back to the Extra Innings Baseball Show. I'm your host, Logan Stump, and with me today is a guy that would have gotten the deal done and we wouldn't have a lockout. It's Jordan Weekend. Yes, I'm running for commissioner next time. I think you might do better than what Rob Manfred did. Uh, Manfred basically put everybody on blast uh, in MLB saying that the players were to blame pretty much for everything that happened. That since May, he's been working tremendously hard and throwing everybody that works at MLB and everybody that works with the team under the bus, um, the different teams. So it's been a chaotic, uh, I guess, week. I don't know. It's been really strange over the last couple of weeks. Uh, But we'll get into all the things that this lockdown has caused. Um, Jordan, Lockout went official on December 2nd. You uh, texted me saying, and I think this was before because Jeff Passan broke it, saying that there was just not a possible deal getting done in Dallas because they were working on it. And he texted saying that, you know, he tweeted saying that this was going to happen and that we were going to officially enter a uh, a lockout and MLB would go on pause. Uh, The MLB Players Association was going to go on pause and, it looks like, Jordan, we're without baseball for the, at least the foreseeable future. I just want to get kind of your initial reactions. I mean, how do you how are you feeling after the lockout? I mean, we knew we knew this was coming. I felt like it was inevitable. Um, but how are you feeling after the, the news broke um, about a week ago uh, today? Feeling fine, I guess. Uh, I mean, I kind of expected this. And after how it went, you know, during the COVID situation where they had to kind of renegotiate there and how long that took. Um, These things never go smooth, right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. what, when you first joined stateside soccer show, it was about, it was about a lockout potential in major league soccer. And um, a lot of the same sort of stuff happened. Don Garber came out with a letter blaming the players, the players blame, uh, the league, uh, the, the same stuff happens every single time there's any sort of issue like this. I mean, I guess the only league that doesn't have this type of problem, I feel like, is the NFL. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why that is. Now, of course, this one was going to have a problem anyway because the union is the strongest union in sports. So they were never just going to take a deal line down. The owners feel like they probably think the union's too powerful so you're going to have those two kind of butt heads it's going to drudge up a whole bunch of stuff from the 2020 trying to get the season on you know start it for uh you know the half covid season the players wanted more games the league drugged their feet to say oh we can only fit 60 now yeah they could only fit 60 because they you know didn't come back for a deal earlier um, so I, I don't know. I think I feel okay about it. I think there will be a deal that gets done before spring trading to not throw anything off. I honestly believe that because there's too much money at stake for both sides that way. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But honestly, I expected this. I think everything still gets done. I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think covering the lockdown that was happening with uh, – or the lockout that was happening with MLS, um, I, I feel – I feel like there's a, a dead to rights per- period where you're basically trying to figure out exactly what it is that each, I guess each group wants. And in these situations, it's always the players want more money and the owners want more money and, and you can't have it both ways, right? It's kind of a double-edged sword where 
you know, if the owners are going to make more money, it's usually at the expense of players. And if the player is going to make more money, it's going to be at the expense of the owners. So I think that there's just, it's not a, it's a pretty much a lose lose situation, I think. And I think when you look at what has been said about the lockout, uh, as far as, um, when you're looking at the the players union or looking at, uh, what has been said on their behalf and what has been said on, um, Rob Manfred's, uh, you know, behalf, I think it's, it's pretty clear that both sides are pretty far from each other as far as compensation, as far as the financials are concerned. I feel like it, it's very much hinges on the fact that, you know, they can't get the financials squared away. And that's always been the case with these owners and, and some of these players is that everybody's trying to be rich and not everybody can be richer. So it, it's, it's a tough situation. It's a tough pill to swallow for fans too, because fans our initial reaction is to think, well, we're not this rich and we don't have this much money and you guys are just being selfish, uh, you know, getting petty over millions of dollars that ultimately when it comes down to it, somebody's going to have to settle. And it's usually the players. Uh, I know that they've pretty much gotten away like bandits, the owners uh, over the last couple of uh, lockouts. And it, it really has shown that, you know, the players have been mistreated ever since 1994. And I'm going to pull up a graphic here real quick. Um, just because I find it interesting as far as like the lockouts concerned. And this was up to date screenshot of uh, the work stoppages. So the last one that we had was 1994. It was the strike. Um, it was a lockout and then complete strike. Uh, it got to 232 days, 938 games lost as far as the season were concerned. Didn't have a World Series, had the World Series taken away. And it really did. It, it impacted the season uh, and baseball players don't get paid when there's not games. So, you know, when there's a, when they're in season, there's no games, the players are jobless. These people become uh, jobless and unemployed. Um, you really feel for their families. You feel for the people around the ballparks that maybe, you know, this might affect if this does end up going this long. But like you said, Jordan, I, I just feel like there's too much money to be had right now. And especially coming out of a, you know, the 2020 pandemic and 2021 the, the remnants of this huge pandemic still, you know, savaging through the it, its way through the country. Um, yeah, there's huge losses through. in 2020. Um, right. You know, when we look like you're talking about financially, um, you know, without having have fans that really put a lot on the owners, the players were still making their money. Yeah. Uh, the owners had the issue of they weren't able to get as much money from fans. Yeah. It, and, I mean, millions and billions of dollars lost uh, having to pay players their salaries because it's guaranteed money and, and having to, you know, kind of navigate the waters of an unknown, uh, basically like everybody else had to do with their businesses. I mean, it, it people lost jobs. Uh, people are continuing to lose their jobs. The pandemic is still raging strong. Um, it's still hurting people in the wallet. Uh, it, it's hurting people in, in, you know, in different aspects of life, too. Uh, people are jobless. Uh, people are having a hard time finding jobs, um, staying employed, keeping people safe while doing so. It, it just it seems to have all come together right at the right time, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of these things. Uh, and it it really does kind of show just how important that they get this done, um, this deal done. And it, it it after reading through it, you kind of understand where each side's coming from. And we're going to get into some of that, too, just because I want to get your thoughts on it as I was reading through some of it. Um, so the head of the MLBPA um, is Tony Clark, uh, and he released a statement quickly after Manfred had lit, written a letter about, you know, the different things that they tried to get done, that there was this deal in place since early spring uh, or sorry, early summer 
Um, and they were talking about how it just seemed to always fall through that they weren't going to be able to get this deal done. Um, and Tony Clark came out after Manfred had basically put all the blame on the players and said that it, this was a drastic and unnecessary measure will not affect the players resolve to reach a fair contract. We remain committed to negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement that enhances competition, improves the product for our fans and advances the rights and benefits of our membership. He goes on basically to say that the owners are the ones to blame because they're not giving any kind of ground to the players who are basically hostages to these teams. I mean, it, it, they're, they're held at ransom at, at times because of the way that their contracts kind of fall into place. Um, so it's, it got, it's gotten ugly. <laughs> it started out ugly. And, and I know a lot of people that are, are writing about it, that were writing about the one in 1994 said that it was similar in the ways that it sound because they were just so far away from one another. So that, that kind of had people worried. Um, but they're disputing Jordan, a couple of things. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on these because, you know, I, I, Honestly, I didn't know what they were going after. Uh, I mean, I knew there was service time issues. I knew that they had problems um, with uh, share of revenue across the league. I know the owners wanted the universal DH, but that seems to be agreed upon for everybody. Um, but we, we really just didn't know. And as time has gone on, more has been reported where the players are really wanting uh, a, I guess, a revisit of the service time uh, because the, of the teams abusing that service time uh, they have to play six years before they are eligible for free agency. Well, if you play 172 games, that constitutes a year. So teams would play people 171 games just to avoid uh, having to have that player under lot or to lose that year. So they'll get them for an extra year, basically. Um, so they're abusing that. So service time was an issue arbitration. They want it after the second year, not the third they want um, the reserve clause contention and revenue share discussions to be at the forefront. Jordan, long-winded, but basically the players want—they uh, want more money. They—they they want more money early and often. Um, they want to be treated with respect, and they don't want to um, have to go underneath these guidelines of uh, the service time, where they're just getting paid on the penny um, for guys that could be earning millions and millions of dollars in other sports. What, what are your, what are your thoughts as far as the players are concerned? I mean, where are, do you side more with the players uh, on this instance? I guess we haven't gotten the owners, but are you, are you, do you see more of the player side or more of the owners who are just kind of looking to save a buck here and there? I mean, look, I'm always going to probably side more with the players than a, than an owner because let's not forget who, you know, the owners are the ones who, you know, put Manfred in charge as it is. So Manfred's working for the owner. So anything he's saying is on behalf of uh, the owners. So in, in that regard, you know, that that's a problem, you know, as a whole. I think where it can kind of lose me at times is you know sometimes the the players make it sound like they're they're really having an awful time or a hard time and and i think you know when you look at how they get like the biggest deals in the world and their money is all guaranteed it's hard to really put myself in the shoes now obviously service time and stuff i can totally understand and i think it 
while it's something the players want, I think it's something the owners should want because I should want, you know, like manipulating the service time and all that is why it's really the only reason Adley Rutschman is not up in the majors right now Mm -hmm. for the Orioles. Manipulating service time was what kept, uh, you know, Jared Kelnick down uh, for the, for the Mariners. So it's those type of things that if that wasn't an issue, we would have those stars here. They'd be, the Orioles would be making more money if Adley Rutschman was playing and selling jerseys with the Orioles, you know, with his name on the back for the Orioles, being able to do an Adley Rutschman bobblehead night, you know, he's the number one prospect in baseball. They would be able to rake in that money. They would have higher attendance, you know, because people would be like, let's go see Adley Rutschman. We saw what happened when I went to the Shohei Otani game because of what a star he was. People showed up, even people that were not Angels fans. Some people that weren't Orioles fans came in because of, uh, Shohei Otani. I'm not saying Rutschman has that type of thing, but if he starts playing and becomes really great, then you're driving people to the ballpark. And if you could do that for earlier, when you know, yeah, you know, he's gonna be what, like 23, 24, I think, by the time he starts playing a major league game, and then you know, catchers don't last super long anyway. Uh, the reason why they are trying to hold on to him is so that way they have a core that's longer, right? That's why they do this manipulation. A core that can stick around longer because that extra six months gives them a whole another year, which is just stupid. Just just either make the contract another year or um, make it where if they're up on spring training, they're they're able to go. I don't know if I really like the age thing that Manfred was talking about offering, like a yeah. – you know, just anytime because some players come out in. I don't know if the players would want that either, honestly, because sometimes the players come in in high school, mm-hmm. like a Bryce Harper, where if the, let's say you say at 25, he's a free agent, mm-hmm. he gets drafted at 18, he has seven years till he gets there to free agency. But a player coming out of like college might only have to do four years before he's a free agent. So I, I think that's where I'm not sure if that's how they want it either. But um, I guess we will see what they say. I did. I did want to point something out here, but I want to get your. Just go ahead and keep talking while I get this pulled up. Yeah. So the the I know Manfred had pulled up the idea of twenty nine and a half years old. Even the players had been kind of throwing that number around out there. And like you said, Jordan, it really just depends. I mean, could you imagine a guy like Wander Franco or Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant? I mean, guys that are 18, 19, 20, um, Juan Soto guys coming up into the league you know that's nine years of their career by the time they're 29 and a half they should be uh in their prime like right in the middle of their prime i'd say 27 28 29 is when you really should be taking off and hitting your stride um because as you start to get into the 30s you do start to lose some of your steam you start to lose some of that mobility and that ability to be a top player in the league and i think that you know, especially in a position player, you don't really see older position players stick around as long as maybe some of the pitchers because they do and can adjust. Whereas once the bat speed goes, you can't really get that back. Um, I do. I think it it's interesting that they keep proposing some of these numbers. And, and I get the idea of service time and, and trying to, I guess, keep players under control. Uh, team control for a little bit but six years is insane um i mean once a guy hits a major league roster he's usually 23 or 4 
depending on how good they are, it could be earlier, but you know, they're hitting it right in their, you know, early to mid twenties, they're stuck there till their thirties and what their first free agent contract can't be until after their first contract with the club who has control and exercise that option on it. So it, it, it really does. It, it bites for the players. I get the under, I, I understand the service time. So I think that's something that going in, that's probably the biggest thing the players want looked at. However, I will argue that sometimes it might lose its luster just because I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, they, they are fighting for this service time stuff, but the people fighting for this service time don't have to worry about service time anymore. <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it, unless your retroactive rules uh, take place in, in which, you know, then teams are going to have a problem with that when if it goes to, okay, after the fourth year or fifth year of service time, they can go into free agency. Well, now, because it wasn't implemented in the right spot, do those players become active in that, in that rule? Do players that are currently on their first contract, like a Juan Soto, does that, does he become eligible for free agency, elect free agency after his fourth year or fifth year, if they do decide to take some of the years off of it. So I get the, owner's perspective on that but i also get the players that you're just being held hostage through what could be really good years to get a good contract and free agency after about three or four really good seasons um for instance chris bryant had a heck of a rookie year he won rookie of the year then he goes on to have an mvp season and then you know after that he's looking for a contract and his third year up and he could be you know, massive. Whereas then he got injured, he started to lose some of that appeal and now he might've taken a little bit of a hit because of it. So it, it really is. It's interesting. It's one of the aspects of that, that I think is going to be under the spotlight more so than the others. Another one that was interesting to me, Jordan, and I don't know um, if it relates to what you're pulling up or what you're pulling up, but um, I did want to talk about so they've got what is the competitive pay rule. Um, so it's basically, you know, allowing teams to go into a luxury tax when they need to. Obviously, teams can buy as many players as they want. Um, it's one of the sports that really doesn't have a salary cap, but they do have a, a tax on the if you go up above a certain amount of money. One interesting thing that was of note is that uh, basically what the players want is a share, like a revenue share discussion where – ultimately the team's pulling in more revenue that revenue should be going to the players into their contracts or that the bigger teams that are pulling in more money should get more of the pie. Whereas the smaller market teams such as, you know, Tampa, um, I guess the Indians and different guardians, sorry, uh, teams like that would go into this smaller bracket and not get as much as the revenue that MLB brings in. So ultimately what you're doing is creating a huge competitive divide. And you and I cover a league that has a huge competitive divide. It seems disastrous if this, this was the one to catch legs, because I could actually see this to where it benefits both the players and the owners. So you were saying that they would do like, like, so the Yankees would obviously get more money than like the Orioles. Right. So when the Orioles and the Yankees play, there's a revenue share that goes on when right. the teams play one another that the TV rights are like, say they're playing on ESPN, it's divvied out equally. Well, there's argument now that the teams in these bigger markets and bigger spotlights would ultimately get more revenue because they're making more money. Yeah. I wouldn't like that. Um, it, it kind of, you know, baseball is touting that the, you know, the parody that, major league baseball has had where they haven't had like a repeat champion in a while. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
that would help limit that uh, if you were to do that. What I was trying to bring up here is what I was going to say, if you go into the baseball hall of fame, which I did in August, I have a whole video about it on our sister channel, you know, the baseball bucket list. Uh, the playlist that has that episode in it is on our main extra innings baseball YouTube as well. But there's a section in like the, like today's game section that is dedicated to labor talks. And it's, you know, this little chart here, it says labor pains. It's kind of what you were bringing up on the slide earlier, but you know, if it's yellow, it was a lockout. If it was blue, it was a strike, that kind of stuff. Um, I just thought it was interesting, you know, uh, that they would actually have this in the baseball mm -hmm. hall of fame. Now, obviously baseball is not tied to major league baseball solely, you know, they, they will, you know, they're starting to let in some of the Negro league, uh, you know, stuff. They're not, they're not strictly just major league baseball. They will, you know, they're not affiliated. I don't think with major league baseball officially. So they, you know, the, having this, um, on there, I thought was pretty, pretty interesting i mean they also have a section for peds and baseball and stuff but you know just something that you know people usually see as like a stain on the game you know the the labor stuff and having an actual like two displays of it or something is pretty interesting yeah i'm hoping it's not getting to that point where we have to have another one filled in there in the different colors that we don't want um but from the sounds of it it's it's not starting out well um it hasn't they haven't budged either side um and they made an interesting point uh bruce meyer who's the head lawyer for the union is supposedly one of the most hard-nosed lawyers that they could find as far as union and work talks uh or, or labor talks are concerned so it'll be interesting to see how much he actually budges and you know t tony clark's been absolutely phenomenal for for the players union i think that he's done a fantastic job if you're looking at the player union side but again it player unions hardly ever win i don't think you ever look at a lot of baseball go, union usually yeah. does well, so the last two years they said that the the <laughs> owners have gotten away with murder uh basically uh but usually it has favored the players uh well, you know, prior years. What I've heard from that too is some of the people that maybe don't have union votes or mm -hmm. don't have as much are a little upset with the players. Yeah. In the sense of some of the players thinking, well, if this doesn't affect me going forward, I'm going to take this deal. While really the point of the union is to, yes, let's hold out. And it'll affect us now, but we're making the game stronger for the players coming further. Um, that's kind of what the, you know, what it's supposed to be. So I have heard some stuff like, you know, especially during like, I think the 2020 stuff where they thought that the players bent over a little too easy um, and, you know, accepted a deal that wasn't in their best interest. We'll see if they do that this time. I think, I think it will be a little, I think they'll get what they want. I mean, like you said, that some of the stuff that they want is going to be beneficial for both sides. Yeah. The universal DH is good for both sides because, yeah, you know, jobs. it's going to create jobs <laughs> for the players, but it's also going to make the National League more interesting for the casual spectator. Yeah. I understand a lot of people like, you know, pitchers hitting and stuff, but when you have a pitcher come up, bases loaded, two outs, and they strike out, the – suspense is you know and you know the suspense is there i guess but when you see 
the suspense is gone pretty quickly when you see bases loaded and you're like, here comes Max Scherzer. You're like, oh, oh my God, we're not going to score now. Right. You know, you know, like it's kind of like that. Um, like when I went to the Phillies Orioles game, it was like any time that like somebody was in a good position and then it's like John Means comes up and he did hit a double. But, you know, you're like, I never seen him hit. I don't know how good he is at hitting. Like, is he going to, you know, and it's two outs. If we don't get the runs here, then, but you don't want to take him out because he's pitching a really good game. So you can't pinch hit for him. So obviously for the casual fans, you know, having a DH for universal where, okay, bases are loaded. Guess what? The pitcher's not up, but Nelson Cruz is up and you're like, okay, this guy can hit a grand slam, you know? Mm -hmm. So it'll make it more interesting in that regard. And that'll help the owners because they'll get more eyes on the ball. They'll get more money because of that. And then it'll help the players by getting players in the, in their forties or in their late thirties, another 16 or 15 job openings. Right. Because now the national league is going to need that too. Yeah. So speaking and kind of switching over to what the owners wanted, because we've, we've talked a lot about the players and it, it, it's more of, obviously money. Um, here's where the owners uh, are thinking they can get more money. They want to change the arbitration um, process. They, they want to make sure that they, I guess, have the advantage in the upper hand, because a lot of times when you go into arbitration, uh, you, there's a lot of times where the players can actually come out and, and make a really good case as to why they deserve more money. It, it's the, the players hate arbitration because it, it, it almost becomes an arbitration is a really horrible thing. So if you don't know anything about arbitration, arbitration is given to a third party person who basically is deciding on work performance of this player. And it's basically like this team goes in, tells you what's wrong with this player, but how good he is for the city. But he's not that good for the city, but he is good for the. So it's kind of like this team just bullying its own player to basically lower the amount of money that they can get out of arbitration so that you can come to this third party decision onto what is the actual salary that they're deserving of. Um, so I always thought that was a weird process. Anytime arbitration happens and it, it, and when you hear that it's a lengthy process, it's usually not good for the relationship between the players and ownership and oftentimes ends up in a fractured relationship with the player and owner. But that one's a strange one. Jordan, this one is the one you and I had a huge problem with. Um, and I'll tell you why. I mean, you probably know why if you're a baseball fan and you follow the sport, you know why this is a huge problem. It, an expanded postseason, Jordan, where I think they said it would be 14 teams. Um, 14 to 16 is what the number that they had started to come up with. 14 to 16 teams would be the proposed amount of teams that would make the postseason. Jordan, you and I texted back and forth after this one because <laughs> we were like, okay, that's ridiculous. Because if they do 50, or sorry, if they do 16 teams, Jordan, that's over half the teams. And Major League Baseball. If they do 14, that's just one under half the teams in baseball. And, I mean, the number doesn't scare me as much yeah. as some of the stuff. So, let's, like, if we dig into it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. The number I can be okay with if it was the normal system we're going through right now, right? If it's going to be played the same way we're playing it now, you know, you know, seeded stuff – that's I, I would I would rather that than what they're proposing because mm-hmm. one, if you're letting more teams in, okay, Orioles got a shot, <laughs> okay, <laughs> they got a chance. Um, two, 
what they're proposing is that what the highest seed or two get to just pick their opponent. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Here's why I don't like that. Okay. One, I think it's too much of an advantage, but also as a fan, what is fun is looking at, okay, we're in this position. We're going to be playing this team now. Right. So let's win a few more games. So we play this other team instead, because I don't want to fit like, like, like if it was giants Dodgers, you know, Dodgers at some point knew they were going into the wild card. And it was like, if we can just win a few more games and the giants lose one, then we get the, we get, we get to go get a buy or whatever. But if it's like this, then you can't even do those projections of, you know, you know how like every so often, like you'll have, um, <laughs> you'll have uh, ESPN put like, if the playoffs started today, yeah. not, you wouldn't be able to do that. Two, as a fan, I would hate it because what if my <laughs> coach or organization is a dumbass and picks the wrong team? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's too much time for you to overthink it for you to do anything like are are the stronger teams just going to pick the lower seed or are they going to be worried that they're going to have to or they're going to face like a cinderella run and be like oh man it's so much time where you're going to look at hindsight and be like if only we would have picked this team we would have moved on further and that's not what i want to be thinking about i would want to be thinking more like if only we were better and won more games, we would have had an easier road. I don't want to think, oh, we had options A and B, and we picked the wrong one, and Team B got hot and beat us when the right option was Team A, but Team A had a better record initially, so we thought we wanted to avoid them and take the lesser option. You know what I'm saying? Like it, mm. It's too much thinking, and I think it, it would – I think I would honestly have so many more like moments of waking up at like 12 a.m. and be like, ah, oh, why did we pick the Red Sox? We could have faced the Yankees, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I think that's what would kind of drive me um, off of this. And I don't like, no sport really does this, right? Where you, where you pick, I know it's been proposed for like other leagues. I know MLS fans have been trying to shake up the playoffs there and always say, why don't we do it where somebody picks their opponent? And I just always hate that idea. It, yeah. It's not something I like because of those like hindsight, hindsight's 2020 you know we're mm-hmm. then all the books we've written about why did the orioles pick to go up against the yankees when they could have faced the outside well because at that point the records were different you know and you can excuse it but you'd always be like what could have been what could have happened if we picked that other team and you know you'll, you'll never know and i think that would annoy me yeah so it'll be interesting to see what happens is if the owners get their way um and it does sound like the players are actually in agreement with the expanded postseason because, again, more games, more money. Uh, when players play in the postseason, a lot of times, a lot of their bonuses kick in. They are a postseason player, so therefore they're on a postseason roster. If they get, you know, once they sign a contract, it might say you lead this team to a postseason, you get, you know, 500K. Like they, they do have stipulations in their contract that say, we will play in a postseason. We will get the team to a postseason. And that's when a bonus hits in. Uh, you know, at bats, home runs, things like that, there's certain bonuses that players get, plate appearances, appearances. Once they hurt, hit a particular uh, mark or benchmark uh, in the season, they do get that extra money. So I do think the expanded postseason coming. I do think that Universal DH is probably the one thing that definitely comes out of this. If I had to pick one thing that 100% I think comes out of this and I had to 
bet money on it. I would say the universal DH in 2022 um, is a no brainer. Uh, I think it, again, like you said, Jordan, I think people finally, because it happened in 2020, I think people are like, okay, we might as well just implement it now. It, it does make the game more interesting. And to be honest, as a fan, I don't see why people, I, I think because they're such traditionalists, they want to sound like they're traditionalists, but it's so much more fun when I get one more player. Like if I'm, you know, Oh, you know, over the off season, my team's going to go out and look for a DH. Well, that's exciting because that's usually a, a, a run producer. That's usually a middle of the order kind of guy. DHs aren't usually typically your, you know, seventh, eighth and ninth hitter. They're usually your third, fourth, fifth hitter. So it usually is a really good bat in the lineup. And that's way more exciting for me than having the, the pitcher hit ninth and maybe get a hit every, you know, 30 or 40 chances that he gets. So, uh, a couple of last things about the lock. Um, lockout. Well, can I just Jordan. say something about yeah. that real quick? Sorry, my system yeah, was so I had trouble mm-hmm. unmuting. <laughs> but you know, I was just looking at you know, Pablo Sandoval was on the Braves, right? He mm-hmm. was uh crucial in 2020, not so much in 2021, I guess. And in fact, he didn't even play in any of the postseason games of 2021, he played uh about 68. No, he had um, – sorry, I read the wrong thing there. He had 69 games in 2021, 86 plate appearances. He didn't have a great batting average. But, like, when you're looking at it, like you said, that one other player, like, he would be a DH in the NL, you yeah. know, if it if they needed him. I mean, obviously, he wasn't pinch hitting a lot. But, I mean, there was that run in 2020. He pinch hit a few times and hit, like, home runs. But, you know, just being able to have that option on – you know, the, in the lineup, like maybe the reason why they didn't play him so much is because they're like, well, we can't put him back out in the field after we take out this pitcher. So then we have to sub him out again and we lose him. Well, Mm -hmm. if you had him as a DH, you don't have to worry about losing him. He bats three times a game. Um, you know, stuff like that, that like that would create a job for Pablo Sandoval, you know, if he was, I don't know if he's going to still play or not, but you know, if he was going to, yeah, and it lets it lets legends live longer. Um, you know, to guys aren't Albert Pujols was meant for the DH as soon as he hit a certain point, and that's why, honestly, that's why the Cardinals. I think you know, considering, I think they started to kind of move on from Albert because he did start to lose the ability to play defensively, and he was one of the top defensive first basemen. So it was, it does, it becomes a point. Like right now, Freddie Freeman's a free agent. Could you imagine a team being out there right now? If both teams or both leagues had the DH, I'm pretty sure. And Freddie Freeman's a Golden Glove All-Star caliber first baseman, and could be for another couple of years. But there's going to become a time where they don't want Freddie, or they got a younger first baseman that they're trying to work in. That's when that DH becomes available, right? You've got guys that are a little slower than what they used to be. Uh, catchers, especially. I know there's a lot of teams that maybe, you know, they, there's a certain, you know, catchers don't hit well, but if there was a catcher out there that did hit well, like a Buster Posey, you you end up saving their knees because they can finally just hit every, you know, three uh, innings and they're back out there being able to play the next game uh, next day. And, you know, I think Buster's career ends up being longer I think he liked being a giant. Um, I'm not saying that he would, of course, if they brought the DH that he'd come back. No, I'm saying that some of these players could, I think, be saved by universal DH because they want to stay loyal to their clubs. They just can't because they know the position is just not there for them anymore. A couple more things before we wrap up the lockout and get into what, what ensued because of the lockout. 
um, which was madness, complete madness. Um, Jordan, your team was targeted in multiple conversations this, I guess, last two, these last two weeks because they are ones that are thrown out there when you're talking about tanking, um, which I always think is really funny because tanking is – I don't believe tanking is possible and people can come at me all you want. I don't believe tanking is possible in major league baseball because there's so many parts to a lineup. There's so many pieces to a rotation. There's so many pieces to the managerial issues. There's so many pieces to the bullpen. It's impossible. Like, yes, you could have a star player and get rid of them and sell them for prospects, but that's exactly what the Orioles did. It wasn't like they were sitting out there going, you know what, I'm going to trade one of my best players for a bag of peanuts. They were literally going after prospects, taking chances. You could technically call the Cubs tankers, and you know, in about three to four years, they won the World Series. So it, it was, it, it's a funny aspect to me because yes, in basketball you can absolutely tank it because you just need one player. You need one LeBron well, James, and you need one, you know, Peyton Manning in football, or you need that. Yes, I believe baseball. I don't believe in it. Where I can see why people say it is, you know, like I, I don't think the roster that was constructed was major league ready. You know, like the, right. the rotation is really what let down the Orioles. And, you know, when you have those prospects, like I said, like Adley Rutschman, you're instead of playing like Pedro Severino, that's where you're like, okay, they're, they're trying to tank or at least they're trying to get a low enough. I, yeah. I don't think they, you can't really guarantee if you're going to be first or last. I mean, um, I mean, or like first pick or second pick, you know, I mean, you just do what you can at that point. But mm -hmm. look, let's not, at, uh, the thing that gets me the most is when they act like the Orioles are only team tanking um, or there seems to be some sort of bias there that I'm not really sure uh, why that is um, because, you know, and a lot of these people used to be Oriole writers. So that's probably where it's coming from. They probably have run-ins with the Angelos. Or, but anyway, um, you know, I, I see them praising Houston. How did Houston get where they were? They're doing the same thing Michael Elias is doing. Michael Elias comes from Houston. Um, the I saw, like, Buster praising the Pirates when the Pirates don't even have, like, anybody under contract for 2022. <laughs> and that's what he was getting on the Orioles about. So, I mean, it's kind of like confusing when you see those type of things. Cause you're like, like, I get it. it it's not fun, right? Like it, it's not fun, but we've really only been doing that for like three years, right? 2018, we had a top 15 payroll, a top nine payroll, something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, and we still had Buck Showater as our manager. And we just, we were trying and we failed, and we sold off players. That's a 100-loss season that somehow keeps getting attributed to the tank, even though that wasn't a tanking season. 2019, Michael Elias' first season. 2020, a shortened season. And then 2021. I mean, so it's been two and a half years. So, I mean, Houston had like three or four straight 100-loss seasons. Mm. And I think the only reason why – it wasn't as noteworthy because they jumped from NL to AL. So it actually kind of reset the counter of how many consecutive American league, <laughs> you know, right. like when they look at how many consecutive American league seasons end with a hundred losses, of course, Astros don't fall under that because they had started that in the national league and, you know, switched to the American league. So whatever um, I get, you know, I get tanking sucks and that's what they're trying to fix with the CBA and stuff here as well. But uh 
I don't know. It's it's going to be exciting when the Orioles prospects are all up. And then what are they going to say then? Um, they, they, they still probably won't give us the credit for whatever we do there. They'll still call <laughs> us cheap or something. I don't know. And it is confusing too, because it's like, you know that the owners lose a lot of money when they suck, right? <laughs> they, like they lose a ton of money. So, and I can tell you from what these lockdown lockouts show and what these, uh, you know, these owners show when they're out there doing business uh, and their other jobs that they might have that get them all this money, they're not ones that like to lose. So it's always funny to me when teams are targeted for for tanking. No, Nobody, and I mean nobody, is out there collectively trying to just stink up the joint. I mean, these guys are showing up every single day. They're trying to become Major League Baseball players. Uh, and, yes, I know the rosters might not be built for Major League Baseball, but again, baseball is a funny sport. It bounces every which way. And, and you just, it's so hard to claim that a team is tanking. It's just that they're not talented and, and they're, they will become talented. Uh, there, there's usually not teams that hang at the bottom for the, their eternity in the league. Um, even the Cubs finally got one after however many years, 108 years. Um, so again, it, it's not like these teams hover at the bottom. But it's also not helped by the fact that, you know, the Orioles don't have the huge payrolls that they're allowed to have because their owners aren't as rich as, you know, Los Angeles or in New York or they don't have the payrolls of the Astros or whoever it might be. I mean, those are mid-level teams once you start to get into the Astros and Kansas City and all of them. So it's, again, it, it really stinks that people designate teams as the tanking teams because the Orioles were in a land where I thought they were actually might get a world series here or there a couple of years ago. Well, and I think one thing that frustrates us about it too, is that, um, you know, it, what would you write? Like Arizona was a really bad team yeah. and they spent some money. You know, they, what they had just recently spent money on Granky a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They spent money on, um, you know, a few people. And it's like, would you rather us, I guess they want us to spend a hundred or 200 million on a certain player and then be like sucking anyway. But then I'd rather save that money and then give extension early extensions to Adley Rutschman and all of our young stars when they come up the way that these teams are starting to do now, mm-hmm. you know, where they like, like a raise locking down Wander Franco after like half a season. Yep. Like that's what I'd rather the Orioles do than be like, Oh, let's go try to sign. Um, you know, uh, let's try to sign Javi Baez for a yeah. hundred some million. No, because we're just now getting out of the Chris Davis contract. Like, right. And that's the thing. We did try it. We did, yeah. we did try it. And then people gave us, well, why'd you give them a hundred some million? I don't know. You complain if we don't. So right. <laughs> I don't know what you want us to do. And you don't get him if you don't. So, And that's the other right. thing, that these small market teams don't have the luxury to go, I can go blow $132 million on a Jason Hayward who hits 167 and – performs at a you know middle school level for half a year so it it does it really sucks because these smaller market teams are looked upon to compete with some of these big boys and they just don't have i mean they're three or four hundred million dollars richer in the pockets initially than and like you said jordan wander franco is going to be if all things work out a ray for 12 years and we'll get into that as we start to get through the free agency here it it, it 
the investment for the future is what these small market teams have to do. But to get some of that future, you have to trade away some really good pieces after two or three years because the Orioles aren't going to attract a guy like Freddie Freeman. They're just not like it. it you get one every once in a while. Right. And, and it, and it does suck because it's like, well, nobody wants to come here because, you know, they know they're not going to get the big payday like they normally would if they just go to New York, seriously, if you, if you take the same player and you go to New York and Baltimore, New York's going to win a hundred percent of the time because they're going to be able to offer more money. Right. So it, it really does. It, it stinks. We for saw these... that with Mark Teixeira, like yes. everybody here in uh, Maryland thought Mark Teixeira would come here because he was born and raised here. And then he's like, I'm going yeah. to the Yankees Yeah, because they money. can afford it. Yeah. Who, want, who wouldn't want to be paid more for their job? I get it. I understand it. Um, and well, I, I would seriously take a pay right. cut for the Orioles. I've, I'm already planning it in the show, in MLB the show. I'm already planning all that kind of stuff. Uh, that that is one team I would you know take the take the lower rate for. Right. All right. Enough lockout. We'll get into. We'll have a lot more lockout stuff coming up. Um, I'm I'm assuming we'll have some stuff that comes out because I did want to get into free agency because. Uh, in an unprecedented way, Jordan, we had the quickest free agency I've ever seen in my life. I think the World Series literally ended like a week before, and they were already starting to pawn guys off onto different teams. You didn't have much time to say goodbye. Right. I, I kind of like this deadline. I, I feel like they should do kind of like what uh, like the Premier League does, where you can only have like, certain day. windows. Yeah, like only in December in the offseason can you add. <laughs> so it's like you have to get stuff done before January. Um, because this was really exciting, Jordan, and it's a really long list. I'm going to go through a couple of the highlights. I've got a, all of them listed here that were signed, so I'm not going to read through everybody's stats and stuff. i got them there just in case we want to reference them. But let's go through the list. Um, I've got some extensions. I've got people signing with new clubs. Uh, a couple of big shockers here, Jordan, that I didn't think would sign until after the lockout, which a lot of people in the industry thought would happen after the lockout. Nobody saw this one coming, though. Byron Bunks, uh, Byron. Buxton, I always have a hard time saying his name. It's like an alliteration thing for me. Um, center fielder for the Minnesota Twins has a career average, uh, 248, 70 home runs, 240 RBIs. A young kid that they had touted coming up through their system and has really performed well uh, with the Twins um, in a city that really needs some kind of help. Uh, not a team um, necessarily in a, in a good spot, but a team that with Byron under contract can – perform a lot better than they have been. And, and that's a key centerpiece is finding a center fielder, an everyday center fielder um, that is important. They did go out and sign Dylan Bundy, who was with the Dodgers last season, starting 19 of his 23 appearances. Angels at a six point, sorry, Angels, I read that wrong. 6.06 ERA and 90 uh, and two-thirds innings. Not great. Um, really struggled, but did come off in that abbreviated year where he had – uh, kind of a Cy Young-like uh, year, uh, Cy Young uh, award-winning year, uh, finished ninth in the voting. So a project, a, a good, I think a risk, right? A good risk, like a high risk. No. Uh, no? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, no he, I, I'm so used – sorry, I'm used to Dylan Bundy from the Orioles. And um, <laughs> while you might think, you know, well, Jake Arrieta figured it out elsewhere yeah. and I – Kevin Galsman did too. Bundy has been injured a lot. He's just never really been what he was touted. You know, he was touted as being one of like the next, uh, next big thing, you know, as a yeah. pitcher. And he never did that um, for the Orioles. And he hasn't really done it 
anywhere. You know, the short season, you have to kind of take those stats into um, with a little bit of salt, I think, at this point um, with him regressing the next year because just how short that season was and how little amount of games he probably actually pitched. I, 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 I'm not saying he's going to turn into a Cy Young winner. I'm, t- I'm more of concerned about can the Twins do what the Cubs did? And, you know, I think – and I'll always use the Cubs just because I'm used to them. But it, it taking a project, working with it, turning it into something that he could be a number three or four starter for a team that's competitive looking for the playoffs and flipping for at least a couple of prospects or a nice return – that's where I see it more of like the risk reward factor. Not, not like this guy is going to turn into that Cy Young award winner that they thought maybe he was coming through the Orioles system as um, I, I kind of like those signs. Now we'll get into a couple other arms where I'm not as confident. Uh, the Blue Jays sign Jose Barrios uh, to a seven year, $131 million extension with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a huge piece for them going forward and then they also go make another uh, another really good signing i think and you've got some experience with this one too uh jordan right-handed starter uh, kevin gossman signs for five years 110 million dollars with the blue jays uh last year he was with the league best uh, san francisco giants um 2021 he had a 2.81 era with 227 strikeouts only 50 walks and 192 innings and absolutely anchored uh, a Giants team that overperformed all expectations around the league. Those really good moves for your uh, friends up north uh, and also bird rivals, I guess you could call them in the AL East. Yeah, I didn't want to see him back in the AL East. I was actually hoping we might try to <laughs> sign him just to, you know, have him come back home. Um, Not a Yankee, though. That's got to make you feel a lot, a lot, a little better. A Yankee Yankees would have never touched him. But <laughs> – I want to give you a little quiz. Okay. What snack would Kevin Gosman eat in the dugout in college? This was a this was a thing we all kind of knew him for here, but a snack? Is mm-hmm. it like something traditional? Mm, depends what you mean traditional. <laughs> okay, is it a chip? Is it a sort of chip? No, no. Okay, no. How about like a nutter butter? Nope. Dang. Oreos? <laughs> closer. You're closer. Uh, like wafers? Like vanilla wafers? It was donuts. Donuts, really? Mini powdered donuts. <laughs> so he'd eat one mini donut before his first pitch, four between each inning. So if he threw a complete game, he would have 33 mini donuts. That's solid. I mean, it make you feel sick, I think, but <laughs> 33 donuts, that's a lot. He cut it out in the big leagues, but yeah, he, he did it oh, in college. That's no fun. I guess in so. college you could eat like a you could eat anything really. Yeah. You eat sewage if you want. Um that's interesting. So there's the fun fact of the day with Jordan. We yeah. have like a little tune that goes with that. Um moving on to another AL East rival, Jordan, the Rays. Uh we we alluded to this. Wander Franco, 20 years old, 12 year. $185 million contract. Uh, the deal could be worth $223 million with all things go correctly. Last year, he hit 288 with seven home runs, 39 RBIs, finished third in the rookie of the year voting, um, and really stepped in uh, and played nicely in the postseason, hitting 368 with two homers and four RBIs. I thought would have been a difference maker had they advanced through the postseason, but were knocked out uh, by the Red Sox. Jordan, um, they go out and sign Corey Kluber. 
this is one of those projects that I don't think goes well. Uh, Corey Kluber, for those that don't know, had one heck of a run there about a year and a half, two years with Cleveland um, and about put the Cubs on their butt and won them their first World Series um, over there in Cleveland. Jordan, how are you looking at the Rays offseason? I mean, they go and sign their future for the next 12 years, which we already alluded to. But they go out and sign Corey Kluber, who was once, you know, Cy Young mentioned, um, once one of the best pitchers in the game. Do you think that this is a good idea by the Rays, or are they just going for broke here? I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's fine. I think Corey Kluber was okay last year. I mean, he, he was, was decent. Uh, yeah, he wasn't the worst thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and then he got injured. But yeah. what I look at it as is, uh, look <laughs> – the Rays are the Rays, right? So they don't believe in starting pitching. If yeah, well, if he can get him a couple of innings, that's fine. But you know what? Here's the thing: they have, I'm sure, some stud pitcher that's going to come out of nowhere next year. That if Kluber struggles, that's not wrong. He 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 takes over, and then it's like okay, so we wasted some money on that. But if Kluber's good, then it helps them even more. So I, yeah. I totally think it's whatever. And then he could be a piece that they flip halfway through the year. Like how they flipped, um, uh, you know, Willie Adamas uh, mm-hmm. in the midseason, and uh, or Rich Hill. They flipped Rich Hill last year, and they still right. made a deep run in the playoffs. So I mean, it, it could be something like that where okay, he'll eat some innings for us during the main season. You know, we're still going to probably be good. We're we're going to have this other guy probably come in and be a stud, and then at the trade deadline we can flip him for maybe. You know that that's what got them Nelson Cruz, right? Is they mm-hmm. they flipped uh, Rich Hill, I think, right? Or right. it was uh, Rich somebody, Hill. yeah, yeah, Rich Hill, yeah. right? That they got Nelson Cruz for. So I mean that that's totally something that can help get them another piece that can help get them to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting if he can stay healthy. It's a nice addition. Uh, I just worry about his health and his age, um, and he. If not, it's only eight million, right? I mean, yeah, but eight million is a lot for (laughs) that's like I think like a fourth of their salary, (laughs) their their payroll. (laughs) They'll be fine. Yeah. Speaking of prized possessions, um, we weren't speaking of prized possessions, but I want to now. Uh, Chris Dave or Chris Davis, not Chris Davis. uh, You wish. Uh, Chris Taylor uh, is back with the Dodgers. A prized utility man was on the market, Jordan, but not for long. Uh, The Dodgers locking up for four years, sixty million. They also go out and get an arm uh, for a staff that performed really well last year, but really took a hit uh, in these last couple of weeks, as we'll get into a little bit later. Andrew Heaney joins on a one-year contract, $8.5 million. Um, spent the bulk of the past seven years with the Angels across the town, posting a 4.67. Heaney was one of those guys that at the, at the deadline every once in a while, people would get real interested in because he could uh, – you know, he could be a guy that would solidify some kind of rotation or some kind of back-end bullpen piece um, where he could give you some nice innings. But he really has struggled here recently. Um, the the velocity in which he's been able to throw um, has kind of dipped. Uh, he, he's not getting uh, the swing and miss that he really necessarily needs. Um, he's getting a lot of runs tacked on. And, and once, he you know, runs start getting tacked on, he starts to implode. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that piece does for the Dodgers. It seems like the Dodgers are able to turn um, dust into gold every once in a while. And I think that dependent upon how well he does, um, it'll be interesting to just kind of watch him, but I don't think the Dodgers are done by any stretch of the means. No, I think, well, 
Yeah, I don't really like the Heaney move because yeah. he struggled really bad at, at, in New York, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't really do that great for the Angels. So I, I, right. I would worry about that. Um, People but, clamor for him. It seems like every deadline he's thrown out there. I know. You know, it's funny. Is like you know when I was paying attention this year with with that is. Um, you know, I, I did see some Yankee fans wanting him, and they go see mm-hmm. Yankees, and you know, like uh, John Boy and Talking Baseball were like, no, because apparently they always lit him up. Yeah. So they were they were really worried about him coming there, and that he he got lit up there. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it really wasn't a good fit. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. The Dodgers had the best whip in all the league last year. Um, they'll look to continue that trend, but Jordan, you and I will talk about maybe why they won't here in a little bit. Former Boston Red Sox right or sorry, former Boston right. I can't read. Uh, former Boston Red Sox left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez uh, is leaving for the Detroit Tigers. I didn't move this one out of the notes, but um, he's moving on from Boston. Um, and Jordan, he's going to the Tigers, who are looking to throw some cash at some people uh, this off season. Um, I, I'm shocked by how much money they have because. Like I've never seen them <laughs> throw this much money at somebody. Um, Eduardo had pitched really well last season. Uh, he he uh, threw his name out there as one of those elite arms a couple of years ago in 2019 when he finished really high up in the American Cy Young winner award uh, vote uh, when he posted a 19 and six record with the 3.1 ERA or 3.81 ERA and 1.33 WHIP. But last year, not so hot uh, with the Red Sox. Um, do you know where he comes from? Where does he come from? Probably the Orioles. The Orioles organization. <laughs> yeah. You need to stop getting. Maybe I'd be concerned about your pitching then. <laughs> I think we, you might be in the market for some. Yeah, yeah. We we traded him for Andrew Miller for that 2014 run, so it oh, paid okay. off. So it, it paid off, that, but yeah, um, it would have been really more paid off if we had won the World Series. But it sucks. Mm-hmm. It was to a division rival um, right. because then anytime he pitched against us, you're like, God, he, he's could have been ours right so he heads to the tigers and he will join javier baez who signed uh, a six-year 140 million dollar deal um with an opt-out clause jordan he struck out 184 times uh having been a cubs fan uh obviously uh watching javi play that was his thing he he will do some spectacular things but when it comes time it, it just tends to not make contact and over the last two or three years ever since that year that he played well um, I was thinking it's 2019 or pre-pandemic where he really started to kind of have this MVP type season. He still struck out a ton. And, and when you were reliant upon him to do something offensively in a clutch moment, it was never him. Uh, and I think that's where that's going to happen in Detroit. However, Jordan, Baez signing with Detroit, um, kind of a head scratcher to me. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of teams that would have taken Javier Baez off the market the Mets included, I thought were going to be interested in him and had tons of money, and now they've got a really good team. Obviously, they go out and sign other pieces that kind of indicated maybe they told him early on that you know they weren't interested because of the money that he wanted. But he gets it in Detroit and well, plays with a team that's not very good. Well, are, are they? Well, getting I mean, better. I, getting. Better, I, I, I think that, you know they were favorites to actually kind of right. challenge for the right. title, and and they uh, well along with the, I think the Twins more so, but yeah, you know, they, they really had. I think with what they're building here, they're showing they're ready, getting ready to compete again. I guess. So. Um, what I what I like about this move in the sense of 
for both of them um, is that it happened early. I think that I think that did shock some people. I think some people thought maybe they had a shot with Baez later because right now Correa is the one sitting out right now as we don't have any clue where he's going. Yeah. But what this does is this takes that off the board for anybody interested in Correa who maybe didn't want to shell out what's probably going to be close to $300 million. With Baez, Tigers probably said, we don't want to spend $300 million. The next best shortstop on the list is probably Javi Baez. Let's just go out and get the guy who we know we can afford before anybody else gets him and see if we can make a deal. And Baez says, this is the exact deal I wanted from the Cubs, so I'm in. And, uh, you know, $140 million or whatever, you can live off of that, right? So I think it worked out for both sides to say, let's get it done now. And then now everybody's kind of like, well, that happened quick. And now Correa's, you know, teams that are probably in the hunt for Correa might be a little lower. Um, Sounds like it's just the Yankees and Cubs at the moment. So we'll, I guess we'll see. I, I, I think he goes to New York. I, you know, I, be hysterical. I know they booed the crap yeah, out of him. I know there's interest with the Cubs. And uh, the only thing about the Cubs I'm worried about, I don't want them spending 300 and some odd million dollars on a shortstop because we well, have not your money. You're fine. <laughs> but right now, that's what the reports have been on Twitter. It's been the Yankees and the Cubs have been neck and neck. The Astros were interested, but they just think they, they don't think they can offer that much money with how many guys are going to have to. I don't think right. he wants to go there anyway. He's no, already said so he's leaving. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think that would be an option. Right. Jordan, you know what will be interesting, though? He, he Javi Baez is getting added, and maybe this is where you're going to come into the – maybe this is where you make sense, Jordan. Maybe this is where you prove me wrong because if you look at the defensive efficiency, which is one of those indicators that really tell you how good a baseball team is – if you look at the top teams, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers playoff team, St. Louis Cardinals playoff team, Houston Astros playoff team, Braves playoff team, Brewers playoff team, Giants playoff team, Rays playoff team, Blue Jays almost a playoff team. You know who's right outside of that? Seattle and Detroit. And then they go and add some shortstops that are good and getting better. Adam Frazier added to Seattle, like the second baseman, pretty good defensively. Like, they're starting to add pieces defensively to make themselves. And, and Javi is probably the premier defensive shortstop in the league. So it, it'll be interesting to see how well he does to short that. The biggest concern for me though, Detroit does strike out a lot. And so does Javi Baez. <laughs> so it's like, yes, you do have a lot of consistency with a, a couple of their players, but I do, I am concerned about just how productive can he be offensively? Cause they cannot rely on him to be that offensive piece that they've got to rely on. He's not Carlos Correa, right? You can't expect him to be Carlos Correa. You can expect him to be a good defensive shortstop. Honestly, Jordan, you know who I like to compare him as? I, I think J.J. Hardy is a better offensive player than Javi. But I, I do think, lot, yeah. yeah, I do think that they, like, as far as production for the team, I do think that they do add a lot. Javi does create a lot of run opportunities, so did J.J. So I, I do think they create it really well for their teams. I, I, that's who I like in him too. So this could be a good signing. I just, I don't know. He just, he strikes out so much. It really hurts to watch. But again, that's just me speaking as a former that's heartbroken that Javi's no longer a cub. So Jordan, let's move on to the next one because I want to get your thoughts on this one and we kind of need to hurry it up. So yeah, um, Noah Syndergaard, the Los Angeles Angels, 
Is that good? Is that no. bad? Like, how do we no, feel? No, this is that? awful. This is awful. <laughs> Why is it awful, Jordan? How much did he sign for? $21 <laughs> million dollars for one year. All right? And he's coming off of an injury. Uh, right? He Yeah, Tommy John. He's had Tommy yeah, John surgery. He's Tommy not John, ever kind of bounced back. In 2019, yeah. he had it. Yeah. And I guess he sat out in 2020. Is that what happened? Or he just wasn't healthy. 2020, and then in 2021, he wasn't healthy. So he's never healthy. Like, just pick a year, Jordan. He's never healthy. Ever. And my my worry about that is that it's it's 21 million. Look, if this is a one-year $8 million good yeah. signing from the Angels. Like but Kluber. I think yeah. it had to be more because I think the qualifying offer he declined. Well, I guess he declined the qualifying offer, which was, I think, for $20 million. So I think he would have only accepted something this high but i i don't know why anybody would give him this honestly yeah. um he's probably gonna play if we're, if we're talking 162 games i know they don't start every game but let's say like a month into the season he's probably injured mm-hmm. i hope he's not but he no. probably will be yeah all right uh heading over to another part of california the giants add anthony di uh really good signing in my opinion uh, Di Scalfani has uh, pitched. He's just a gamer. He's pitched well everywhere he's been. Um, he agrees to a three-year, $36 million contract, and he has to go now and hopefully replace uh, some of what they're going to lose with Kevin Gosman because that's a huge loss. Joining him in a rotation uh, will also be Alex Cobb. Um, Cobb was another name that was out there for a long time as being one of those guys, but he, he just never really – like, I, he's never panned out the way that I think people thought he was going to be. Um, I know the Cubs had always been linked to him, um, but they're going to throw a lot of money at him. Uh, he's pitched pretty well last season, so maybe he's going to be on that road and path of uh, pitching extremely well this year. And in San Francisco, I think it is easier to pitch at times um, because they seem to have the magic when it comes to the, the rotation, and, and their pitching staff is always uh, one of the best pitching staffs in the league. Um, Cobb eight and three with the 3.76 ERA over 18 starts, uh, and 93 and third inning for the Angels this year. Pitched pretty well for the Angels, so maybe this works out. Maybe yeah. he, he wasn't great for the Orioles, yeah. That's the common thread here, I see here, but they keep getting money. All these yeah. players, so. I was gonna say, all your former Orioles are signing everywhere. Alex Cobb is actually, I think, the player we've the, the pitcher we've spent the most money on That's ever 50 yeah. some million, four years, yeah. You guys should sign Jake. He's out there. He's a free agent. Um, Cardinals signed Steven Matz. This one was a big bummer. Um, <laughs> uh, being a for Cubs Steve fan. Cohen, it was. Right, yeah, for Steve <laughs> Cohen. Steve Cohen had a lot of money, though, Jordan. We're going to get into that. We even got oh, After this, he went on a spending spree. He was mm. so pissed. <laughs> yeah, he was so mad at Steven Matz, Jordan. I, don't, I, I think the tweets were like, how dare this? This has never happened. This is so unprofessional. He and his agent lied to us. Like, he went on a spree. And he does that often, but like he he went on a total ham for Stephen Matz, Merritt Paulson of uh, he, of Major League Baseball. And you know what's interesting, Jordan? Like this would be the worst thing I think as a player. Like I don't know how he recruits when he does crap like this. Um, I'm shocked that half these guys went Money. through that they just signed. But yes, we're getting we're getting to that. Stephen Matz pitched really well last year, 14 and seven record with the Blue Jays. Um, he had a 3.82 ERA and 29 starts, 144 strikeouts and 150 innings or two thirds innings, which is really good. Um, 
and honestly had Toronto fighting for a playoff spot. And it's very exciting that he gets to join the Cardinals because they always perform well uh, in their rotation. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. And besides some of those guys that they have, uh, Kendall Graveman is a, agreed to a three-year, $24 million contract with the White Sox. Graveman, um, really good in his appearances in Seattle uh, and helped the Astros um, when he joined them down the stretch. Um, a good arm to have around. Uh, Kendall Graveman's been around for quite some time, so a name that a lot of people will know. Um, Matt's Jordan, this is where I really want to get into. Um, this was interesting just – from watching all of this happen and transpire, you really started to see what was going on with Steve Cohen. Besides him tweeting angrily, it's uh, Matt's um, Jordan. They go out and sign Mark Canna from the Oakland athletics, pretty good position player um, can play all three outfield positions and first base, just kind of that utility guy that every team really just needs in the lineup just to get on base, create uh, some runs and, and really just distribute his uh, wealth defensively. Uh, they also go after uh, Eduardo Escobar, uh, who is a free agent infielder, uh, slashed 253 um, with an on-base percentage of 314. You know, in slug or is that slugging 472? Um, overall, last season, uh, 28 home runs, uh, OPS of over 800 uh, for the Brewers, and then they go out and sign Starling Marte too. Uh, he gets a he hits 310. Um, OPS of 841, probably one of the better defensive outfielders that they have. Won two gold war or two gold glove awards with Miami. And Jordan, they weren't done yet. <laughs> they go out and sign the prize possession uh, of the of the off season, I think, and, and probably in most people's eyes, Max Scherzer uh, is going to join Jacob Degrom in a one-two punch in New York, Jordan. Do you feel good for the NL East, uh, the rest of the NL East, or should we just be playing for who's in second next year? Well, I would say the latter, but mm -hmm. the Mets were in first place for a hundred some days <laughs> last year and did not finish in first. So it's really anybody's ballgame. But I like what the Mets have done, and I think it's good for baseball. I do think having a good Mets it's good for baseball because I think really having the jokes of that's so Mets and everything yeah. is is bad for baseball. It's 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 not fun. It's you know the it's not like uh, it, it's just repetitive. And you hope that they can be good. I mean, I, look, I was rooting for them in 2015 uh, against what they they faced the Dodgers in the. Um, NLDS, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'll shoot for them there because I'd rather them than the Dodgers, and I think it'll be interesting. The Mets haven't really done much in a while. Mets fans have gone through a lot. They still are. Um, so I think it's good. Uh, you know, I, I don't hate the Mets or anything, so it'll be interesting to watch the NL East because, I mean, that was a really bad division last year. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted it. The Braves ended up getting it and then winning the world series, which was, you know, just amazing for what they were able to do. But I think when you see stuff like that, it's going to make the Braves have to add some more pieces. It's going to make the Phillies have to add some more pieces because the Phillies were only a few games out of 
the playoffs as well. So it'll make those teams interesting. The Marlins have done some interesting things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it really is going. And the Nationals, you know, who just won a World Series a few years ago, they're going to have to make some moves. I mean, they're going to want Juan Soto happy, right? So they're right. going to have to do some stuff as well. So it's it, it might become one of the best. Ba- you know what it might be? It might be like the um, NL West last year. It might really be that good. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying like, uh, you know, 100, 200 plus winners. But yeah. what I'm saying is very interesting and, and having maybe two or three teams that could potentially win the title of the NL East for being good, not for like nobody wants it like it was last mm-hmm. year. I think it, they might have a chance of being a really interesting division to watch. Speaking of the Marlins, uh, Avisiel Garcia comes over from the Brewers, um, hit 270 with 127 home runs and 470 RBIs, not last season, but in the t- 10 seasons that he was with the Brewers. Those numbers would have been uh, belonging to Jordan's uh, My Show player that hit like 300 home runs in one season. Um, like it was definitely on the right. It was definitely on the right. 200. They also go out and get Joey Wendell. Um, Wendell uh, played really well with the Rays. I remember watching him in the postseason. He was fantastic. So that's a really good signing for the Marlins. And actually, don't look now, Jordan, but the Marlins, they're building something, like you said. And I think they've got something in Miami where they can build a core. And if they can build a core, I do think that they end up developing pitchers pretty well. Um, And, you know, if you look around the league, there's some talent that has left that particular city and has gone on to do big things. So I think that the Marlins have something brewing there. And like you said, Jordan, that NL East is starting to get tighter and tighter. And with the lockout, you know, ending hopefully eventually, I do think you're going to see more moves by the Phillies. I think you're going to see some moves by the Braves. I also think you're going to see some more moves by the Mets, which is shocking. But yeah. again, I, I don't think the Mets are done by any stretch. And I think the Mets are, I, I, I guarantee you they're a name in on Chris Bryant. And if they add Chris Bryant, that could be terrifying. So you can buy all these players though. And it's going to yeah. come down to chemistry and it's going to it come is. down to the rumor we've heard of. There are St- Steve Cohen wants mm-hmm. Buck Showalter. Yeah. One of the Mets players wants them. And apparently it's Max Scherzer who wants Buck Showalter. Some people say it's because Buck will probably actually let him pitch a lot more mm-hmm. than some more modern managers, which makes sense. And this is what we were talking about with starting pitching and what needs to change is that the starting pitchers are not going to take this line down of, yeah. I get three innings a game. No, they're going to want those seven, eight, and especially somebody like Scherzer. So I could I could totally see Buck fitting in here. Uh, I'm a big Buck Showalter fan. A lot of people will be like, well, he's only ever won. Uh, he's never won a World Series. Neither had Dusty uh, Baker, you know what I'm right. saying? And he still hasn't, right? Joe um, <laughs> Yeah, what Joe Madden had it until the Cubs, right? Right. So, I mean, it, it is – it is interesting. I think Buck could look. Buck has turned his teams around within by year two or three, every time he's been there. And you know, people will say, "Well, at the end when he left the Orioles, his losses were more than his wins." But what he did for Baltimore has not even been done yet since yeah. then. You know, yeah. so I, I I love Buck, and I think he would be a good fit for the Mets. I really do. Same. I, and he's coached for the Yankees, so he knows the yeah. New York media and how tough they can be. So I yeah. think it makes sense. And I do think the Mets have a bigger distraction uh, at the top, so it's a little bit easier on a manager there sometimes. All right, uh, the Rangers, they also go in deep. Um, they they signed shortstop Marcus Simeon to a seven-year, $175 million deal. Um, really 
good performer, good power seasons uh, from the second baseman. I think he he holds the record for home runs, I believe, in a season, or he just broke uh, Brian Dozier's this year um, with 45 home runs. He hit 265 um, in 29 starts. Uh, this wait, that's not that's not about him because he doesn't pitch. Um, I don't know where that pulled from. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong notes. Uh, star shortstop Corey Seager also goes to the Texas Ranger. Uh, Jordan, 10-year, $325 million. He was the other prized possession on uh, the market. Jordan, the Texas Rangers, big-time spenders. But does it actually mean anything for a team that just really hasn't been much in a very long time? I got, Honestly, Jordan, I can't even remember the last time, unless it was Josh Hamilton's year, which would have been like maybe when I was in high school, like 20 20- 2008 or nine when they were like really really good 2011 world series against the cardinals okay so then they were one out away in game six and blew it um i remember that because i was rooting for the rangers because i like seeing just like different teams win it every so often you got to yeah you know yeah absolutely uh, baseball yes yeah yeah so that that would have been interesting but the cardinals had won that one Mm -hmm. and i just remember them being like one strike away i'm pretty sure and it was uh you know, at Ranger Stadium too, it goes over the head and of center field. I think it was, and um, we're right in the gap between right and center, and <laughs> and you know the Cardinals uh, win Game Six and they go on and win Game Seven, and that's the last time I think the Rangers have been. Um, you know, that's as close as they ever got. They had Nelson Cruz at that time too. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna try to look up maybe the. Last time they were in the playoffs, if I can. Yeah, and I'll speak a little bit on them just before you find them. Uh, They were the second to worst uh, hitting team last year. They had a batting average of 232. The only team lower than them were actually the Seattle Mariners, who were pushing for the playoffs at the end. But the Rangers have one of the worst hitting offensives uh, in the league. So did the Marlins, who we just talked about. Uh, OPS, they were the worst. They were dead last in OPS. So adding two guys that should spike those numbers tremendously, um, especially Corey Seager, who is one of those guys that's like a gnat, um, if he can stay healthy, then th- those are two great additions. I just don't know how much the Rangers have around him that's really going to make much of a difference for this team. But that being said, there's the building blocks. You know, you got to start somewhere. And these are two really good signings. Um, how they convince these two guys to be like, okay, sign me up. Um, kudos to them, I guess. Kudos to their ownership. And, and I guess whatever happens and transpires in Texas, uh, they've always been able to develop pitchers pretty well. So, you know, developing some of these younger arms that they have um, and building up kind of that minor league system that they have, I think is going to be really important. Uh, and they've got some pieces from the the, um, the Gallo trade and things like that from last so year. I've, I found it. 2010, they were in the World Series against – San Francisco lost. They lost the 20, uh, 2011 World Series the next year as well. So really heartbreaking for them. Then I, I should have known this. 2012, they you know lost the wild card game to the Orioles on the, the Orioles run there. Um, so at that time, you know, you're thinking as an Oriole fan, great, we got to go up against the Tinos in the World Series twice. Um, then you had uh, no playoffs for 13 and 14, and then they lose the ALDS in 2015. And they lose to ALDS in 2016. In the 15, they lose to the Blue Jays. And in the 16, they lose to the Blue Jays. Um, so that's the last time they were in the playoffs, about uh, five years ago. All right. Yeah. So not as relevant in, in the last decade, but since that World Series run. But 
Um, but they are there. now. I mean, I yeah. think they've, I think they got it going. Yeah. Seattle Mariners uh, get again, Adam Frazier. We talked about that uh, solidifying more of that middle infield that they have Seattle making some good moves too. They go out and sign Robbie Ray, who was the prize possession too uh, on the market. Uh, not for me. He, not for, not for Jordan. Um, Robbie Ray finalizing a five-year deal um, worth $115 million with an opt-out after the third season. Uh he was one of the worst starting pitchers in the majors in 2020 um, to the best in the American league in 2021, winning the American Cy Young uh, honors going 13 and seven with a 2.84 ERA with the Toronto blue Jays uh, led the league in ERA innings, pitch strikeouts and wins hits and in innings pitched. He also accused the Orioles of cheating. So Jordan, uh, they did cheat. So um, yeah. anyway, they tanked so hard. They cheated. Um, <laughs> Jordan, I want to ask you about this one. It's your team. First of all, I want to ask you, how do you pronounce his first name? Because I know it's Odor, but I do not. Runyet. Okay. That's what yeah. I thought it was, but I couldn't remember how to say it. So, Jordan, what do you think? Well, how's this edition? I know it's only one, but good, bad? Look, he's already an Orioles legend for punching Jose Batista. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so as long as you throw in some haymakers, you're good? Yeah. Yeah, especially against Batista. I mean, Batista is another, uh, you know, former Oriole. Yeah. Uh, that, um, you know, I felt like that Blue Jays team was a lot more cocky than they are now. So I do, you know, I'm not, I'm okay more with the Blue Jays team now than I am back then. That team with, um, you know, Kevin Pillar and uh, Batista and uh, just, I'm forgetting who else uh, I'm blanking on here, but they, they had a lot of, um, you know, kind of just players that really pissed you off, I guess. But um, so seeing that was fun, I think. But, you know, it, it's good, I think. Uh, we need a, you know, second baseman right now. We don't have that. Um, if he does well, which, you know, he did okay at the Rangers, um, really just did less than okay at the Yankees, but. Maybe he'll get his facial hair back now and he'll be in a lot better spot now that he can grow some facial hair for the Orioles. And um, look, we, we really only need him for the one year. He's going to play here. Uh, we might, if he does well enough, we can flip him halfway. And I think, yeah, it is what it is. I think he's just filling a gap right now. And um, I think he is a better quality player than who we've been having at second base uh, the past two years. So I I'm actually all for this. Yeah, I think it's a good signing. It's some pop. Uh, he doesn't hit as well uh, as far as average is concerned, but he does hit with a lot of authority when he does make contact. Had 33 home runs in 2016 with the Rangers, and uh, he also provides some pop through his little fist. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it's a good addition. And then moving into my team, and I, I promise you I did not put these two back-to-back -back in our notes together on purpose, but they, I just so happened to notice that I did. Um, the Cubs go out and they make a move and sign Jan Gomes, backup veteran catcher, $13 million, two years. Um, I like that signing and behind Wilson Contreras. Um, and if we end up trading Wilson, it'll be nice to have Jan Gomes to kind of fill in that spot until one of our younger catchers comes up. Uh, Adam Frazier um, is also coming, or not Adam Frazier. No, that's the wrong Frazier. Uh, gosh, dang it. I freaking, did I not put his... Uh, did not put his first name. Help me, Jordan. It was on the Yankees. Uh, Clint Frazier. Thank you. Thank you. Clint Frazier comes over to the Cubs. I did put that in the notes. It's right there. I'm an idiot. I can't read. Um, Clint Frazier, that was one of those risk signings. If it works out, it works out. If not, 
you know, a year. And I, I like that deal for the Cubs. Um, mostly because they have their outfield kind of shored up. They just need a couple more pieces, um, I guess, in their infield, which uh, I'm hoping they take care of in shortstop position, but we'll see. The biggest signing uh, for the Cubbies and a huge signing, a kind of a shocking one, um, Marcus Stroman, who many thought was going to sign after uh, the lockout because he, he, they felt like the Dodgers were a good place. The Mets could have been a good place for him. The Yankees could have been a good place. Um, he had a lot of the big teams after him, uh, and the Cubs actually displayed their interest. He was in L.A. He immediately jumps on a plane, according to his agent, and within hours uh, had a contract in place for the Cubs. Three years, $71 million, pretty team-friendly uh, for the Cubs. And to be honest, he could, I think they said, end up playing five years. He's got kind of that option to go in and out of the deal Depending upon on how his contract works out, he could end up uh, with the Cubs a longer time if the Cubs decide and he decides to exercise that. Um, yeah, I think that's a good move. Um, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to play at Wrigley, right? So right. I, I could see why he would jump right on a plane at that point. Yeah, and that's what he said. He tweeted it. He said, I, that's the reason I chose the Cubs because I wanted to play at Wrigley. It's the, only, it's the only field he has not played in, Jordan. Really? Yeah. Can you believe that? Um, yeah, it's the only team or the only field he had not made an appearance in. It's like one of the only 27 I haven't been to right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan 2, Marcus Jordan 2. Uh, Braves and Brewers made a really weird trade. Um, Hunter Renfro was sent from the Red Sox to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee sent Jackie Bradley Jr., who the Red Sox just got rid of a couple years ago, right back mm-hmm. to Boston. Um, it, it, Hunter Renfro played really well, too. So it's like, the Brewers just got deeper. I actually think the Red Sox, for what they're getting back, is kind of eh, uh, very defensive center fielder, but doesn't hit as well. And he had, he had Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, in the comments of this tweet, uh, of all the tweets that were shared out, Brewers fans were so happy to get rid of him. So, yes. but maybe maybe he'll fit back in Boston. Maybe that's one of the things. You know, sometimes yeah. players do that where they go somewhere else can't cut it and then come back and they love it again. And they're, you know, a whole new player. Yeah. Change of scenery. Um, yeah. You gotta like those. Philly like a return of scenery. <laughs> yeah. All right. The Phillies, Jordan, here's that team you were talking about. That was sneaky and could get sneakier. Um, Corey can uh, you know, the mm-hmm. starter, not, he's not really a starting pitcher. He's a bullpen arm that starts. Um, but yeah, Corey can signs with the Phillies 30 year old, pitched extremely well for the Dodgers. Jordan held that team together uh, in times where Kershaw had been hurt. Scherzer had the issues with his arm. Um, 2.4 ERA, 0.97 whip, uh, held the opponent's batting average to 176, had a phenomenal year in the 27 appearances that he had with the Dodgers. Really, really like this signing for the Phillies. Padres, Nick Martinez, who not many would know. Uh, if you go back in the day, you might be able to find him. He has been Pitching with the Fuki Ka, Fuki, I don't even know how to say that, Jordan. It's a Japanese team, and I have no idea how to say that. Fuki, Fukioka SoftBank Hawks. That's what it there looks like. Go. All right, so four years deal for the Nick Martinez. Nick Martinez posted a 1.62 ERA in the Japan League this year. Um, Jordan, you might have got to see some of those games of the pandemic, maybe. Um, but he had been previously with the Rangers from 2014 to 2017 where he posted a 4.77 ERA. If that translates, that's not good. If he pitches, if it's, if he started to figure out his, you know, where he needs to put the ball and 
and he's getting his velocity up and he's starting to place the ball in positions that he needs to and getting guys out. Maybe this works out, but Jordan, this, this is a, uh, it's a really weird move. <laughs> it I, is a, um, by the way, I looked it up. It's Fukuoka. Fukuoka. Nice. Let me see. Let me make sure. Hold on. Ready? Fukuoka. Yes. According Fukuoka. to Google. Okay. Fukuoka. All right. So from the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, uh, Nick Martinez joins the Padres. And Jordan, we talked about this team last year imploding. This is a really weird one, too. Like they were on a really good stretch of making good signings, but then they do weird stuff like this. It just, I get it. Take a shot. If it works, it works. But like four years, you got to. Uh, yeah. I, I think they won't make, I, I don't think, well, I hope he's not going to be like something they're hedging their bets on here. Um, look, I, I think there is an issue with how the Padres are built a bit. You know, they have all the star players, but we hear complaints about the general manager a lot of times. He just, uh, you know, the deal to send Adam Frazier to Seattle was a trade, was it not? Right. So yeah. it, some people were kind of confused by that because it makes, um, Zero a little weaker there. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to know what's going on. Like, I, I don't think they know what's going on. It's like one of those front offices that tries to make that, you know, checkmate move, but end up getting the queen to slaughter them in the end. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I just don't get it. I really don't. Um, and the resources are there, so I don't understand. Diamondbacks, last team, and then Jordan will move on, so it's not a three-hour podcast. Uh, Diamondbacks right-handed pitcher Mark Melanson and uh, agreed to a two-year $14 million deal. Uh Went four and three with a 2.33 ERA and 64 and two thirds innings pitch for San Diego in his first season with that franchise. And he had 39 saves. Love this signing. Uh, Mark Melanson has been a really good arm for quite some time. Um, and I think the Diamondbacks are going to need uh, every ounce of that uh, starting next season um, in a division that is extremely tough in a division they only won 52 games in. So adding guys that can close out. However, again, I'm really shocked that some of these better arms just decide, you know what? Arizona is where I want to be. <laughs> it's a nice place to live. I'm assuming. And, <laughs> it is. and that's why I think that no it has to be why. Yeah. Look, you know, if I was a famous star, right. If I was like yeah. Max Scherzer right. and Arizona comes calling mm -hmm. and they're like, we want you on this team friendly deal. You know what I say to them? I say only if you rebrand back to the purple and teal. Yeah, it's the only way I'm gonna do it. I cannot yeah. wear those ugly red gray yes. things they have. Uh, yes, with the teal or whatever color it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I want the teal and purple. Yeah, that's what I grew up with watching the Diamondbacks. My lo my local Jarrettsville travel baseball team wore those Diamondback colors, so mm -hmm. I have a fondness for them. Then every team in baseball has become either red or blue, and it's annoying. So. The Diamondbacks, um, that was a vest too. That was like a two-piecer. Like that was so the good. purple shirt with the vest on it, the white striped with the green, like the teal colors, and they had the really cool A on it. Yes, you're right. Yes. It was it was a beautiful. I can just picture Randy Johnson in it. Yes, that I that I mean, how can you get rid of? And that's the one they won their World Series yes, in. It was too. I don't understand. I know they wear them sometimes as like a um, like a throwback, like a throwback. But I mean. Like, let me just share this real quick because it is just such a great uniform. Mm. All of it's beautiful. The white one, 
mm-hmm. is nice with the purple sleeves, but also the black yep. is nice. Uh, you know, the the all purple that they sometimes wear now is nice, but why do we gotta hit why do we gotta deal with these ugly red ones? Yeah, that's like when they had Luis Gonzalez and Kurt Schilling, Randy Johnson. Like that was a squad. Mark Grace was there. Like that was an absolute squad that they yeah. had. We'll have to do like jerseys. That'll be fun because there's a lot of good jerseys that have gone extinct. Yes. It's really sad. Like the camouflage Padre jersey is like one of my favorite ones. They used to just beat the living crap out of everybody. Tony Gwynn wearing the camouflage. Have you seen that one? Yeah, they were wearing it this year too, I think. Yeah, they wore like, yeah, something similar, but it wasn't the same. But yeah, we'll have to do an episode on that one time. But all right, Jordan, um, that was a longer episode, but yeah. I knew we had to get. Uh, Plus, there's not going to be a whole lot to talk about over the next coming week, so I felt like going this long could have been all right. Um, it was fun to catch up on all the free agents. That's all pretty much that had happened throughout the league. Um, yeah. Really not much else. Kirby Yates went to the, to the uh, Braves, which I didn't really mention. Good bullpen arm for the champs. But other than that, just really, really action-packed couple of weeks there because of the CBA and everything that was going on. Um, Jordan, I want one last question. When do, you, when do you start hitting the panic button um, as far as this player union and this agreement? What what date are you giving it before you start going, oh, crap, we might actually have to miss some games here? Uh, January 24th. Okay. That's <laughs> random. That's random. I'm going to go February 1st. That is. Not as random, but uh, it's probably January like a, 24th is a Monday, okay? That's, so, okay. Okay, I can that see that. That makes sense, I guess. That does. Yeah, back in the office, getting the deal done on January 24th. That's actually yeah. my friend's birthday. If, it, if it's but... not done by then, it's like, uh-oh. Because then, you know, the season starts at the end of February. Yeah. So uh, they're going to have to still have a spring training. So I would worry around then, for sure. And spring training, I didn't know this, is a huge revenue uh, producer. I had no idea. But tons of people go because it's have cheap. Have you been to a spring training game? I have. Tons Me too. of okay. games. Yeah. I went to Sarasota um, when I was at uh, the college program one year. Oh, uh, yeah. No, we did a whole spring training trip one time. Uh, oh, with nice. My grandparents went to like eight or ten games or something. It was crazy. It's fun, though. Uh, we got a foul ball from Adam Dunn when he was with the Reds. Oh, nice. Like bounced in front of my grandparents. And That's a guy it. who's been everywhere. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, and we actually had a ball thrown to us. Random fact: when King Griffey was with Reds, we had a ball thrown to us by King Griffey. Uh, and Jordan, you know what we did with it? Throw it back? No, we played with it and ended up ruining it. Oh, and, no. Yeah, it was like a it was like chewed up by a dog or something. I don't remember, but it was awful. My dad was mad. <laughs> I haven't had any good stories about memorabilia or anything. I never catch a home run ball. I mean, the only one I have is one time we went. Uh, Orioles White Sox to Camden Yards when they were doing batting practice and Jose Canseco mm-hmm. when he was all roided up hits one out he to us. Shot and, to oh, yeah, okay. yeah, he hit one out to us in uh, like center field, uh, left center. Um, and uh, my dad like had to fight some guy off. I mean, like it, the ball landed near us, and my dad's going to pick mm-hmm. it up. Some other guys coming, and my dad had to like my dad kind of scoops it up and just does like one of these where he puts it underneath his thing nobody knows he has it and everybody's looking for it and then uh then he gave it to me so that was nice that's i don't know where it is now though it's probably gone it's probably evidence at this point um <laughs> yeah yeah the congress <laughs> called me they were like we need that sorry jordan can't tell us where that ball is um <laughs> all right so if you have enjoyed listening to us ramble on for an hour and 35 minutes 
you can follow us over on Facebook at Extra Innings Baseball Show, Twitter, Extra Innings, or Extra Inning Show, and Instagram, Extra Innings Baseball Show. We are the Extra Innings Baseball Show, uh, and we really, I guess, thank you guys for joining us, and hopefully we have some news coming up in the next couple of weeks on when this lockout will end. But until then, Jordan, um, I guess stay dry and don't catch any Jose Canseo needles that are flying through the air or whatever you're doing. Adios. The Extra Innings Baseball Show is hosted by Logan Stump, edited and produced by Jordan Wiegand, And we hope that everybody enjoys us talking some baseball in this MLB 2022 season that is upcoming. Thank you.